If you would join in standing with me as we read from Scripture today. Uh, Today we're going to be reading out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you, and you can find the page for it at on 696. Bruce is going to be continuing his series talking about reincarnation. And so follow along with me as I read. And as and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins for many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin for salvation. Lord, thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ as our Savior, as the only means of us being able to be with you, God. Thank you so much for what you've done for us and what you will do for us. I pray that you would give Bruce the words to speak and that you would, uh, you would pierce our hearts, God, and that we would take away from this um, knowing and being more confident in our relationship with you, God. In your name, amen. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning because I've got great news for each and every one of you. If you can hold on for another 20 years, you might be able to live forever. According to Ray Kurzweil, nanotechnology may change the life expectancy of everyone by extending life indefinitely. He writes, and I quote, I and many other scientists now believe that in around 20 years we will have the means to reprogram our body's Stone Age software so we can halt and then even reverse aging. The nanotechnology will let us live forever. Ultimately, nanobots will replace blood cells and do their work thousands of times more effectively. We will be able to do an Olympic sprint for 15 minutes without taking a breath. Go scuba diving for four hours without oxygen. Heart attack victims will calmly drive to the doctor for a minor operation as their blood blots keep them alive. Our mental capacities will be able to write books within minutes. Sounds great, doesn't it? Sounds awesome, but forgive me for being just a little skeptical about that because these words deny the most basic reality of all human history, and that is everyone dies sooner or later. As we continue in this series, final questions, the answer we're going to look at this morning is reincarnation true? There are over 1.5 billion people in the world today who believe in reincarnation. Now, they primarily live in India and the Far East, as reincarnation is a core belief of Hinduism and is believed by many Buddhists as well. But recent surveys have shown that about 30% of Americans believe in reincarnation. So almost, on average, one one in four people that you meet on the street, at work, in your neighborhood, whatever, believe in this theology uh, or reincarnation. Uh, uh, Another survey finds that 60% believe reincarnation is a distinct possibility. Now, there are several entertainers uh, in the past and even the present who have embraced reincarnation. 
Uh, one of the most famous ones in the past was uh, Shirley MacLaine, who has written five books describing her spiritual journey and her belief in reincarnation. Her first book is called Out on a Limb. In fact, it was a bestseller, uh, and it was even, uh, they turned it into a made-for-TV movie in the 80s. At one time, Willie Nelson was a Sunday school teacher in a Baptist church, but in his recent book, just came out last year, it's called It's a Long Story, My Life. He writes, and I quote, From the first moment I considered the concept of reincarnation, it made sense. The old paradigm was just too cruel, just too unchristian to be believed. If you die in your sin, you spend eternity in hell. How could the passionate God of mercy ever set up such a system? On the other hand, I was drawn to the idea that you keep coming back to you get it right. Reincarnation seemed merciful and completely Christ-like. Jesus got it right the first time around and was, after all, God incarnate. Perfect man. But the rest of us would need several lifetimes to shed our sins and learn the lessons necessary to heal our troubled souls. From Willie Nelson. In an interview with the Toronto Star, Reba McIntyre affirmed her belief in reincarnation, which seems inconsistent with her previous statements of her faith in God. Reba said, and I quote, People said I can't be a Christian if I believe in reincarnation. But I always felt God loves us so much he'd want to recycle us and not just throw us away. Now there are at least two things seriously wrong with what Willie says and Reba says. Uh, one is simple from just a biblical point of view, which we will examine here over the course of the next few minutes. The other is more subtle, but perhaps even more profound. As to the first thing here, the Bible is clear that reincarnation is not part of God's plan for humanity. In the scripture passage that Jeremy read for us here, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 9, just as people are destined to die, how many times? Once, and after that to face judgment. And so we don't die and come back and then die again and come back again. Just like Jesus died once, we die once. The more subtle but profound part of uh, Willie's statement, and, and even more precisely Reba's statement, actually has to do with the, their implied view of God's love. Somehow the notion is expressed that once we die, God just loves us way too much to just, quote, throw us away. But like most people who believe in reincarnation, she misses a vital biblical truth about God's love. Notice it. It's in your notes. You're welcome to pull that insert out of your bulletin and follow along, if you will, or you can just look on the screen here behind me. But notice the biblical truth that about God's love that she misses. God's love, God loves us so much that his son Jesus died and rose again, not to recycle us, but to redeem us. And so I would say God loves you more than what you think he does. That's the beauty of this. That's the biblical truth about God's love. He doesn't want to recycle us. He wants to redeem us. And he did that by providing his son, Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. God's love for us is so vast that far from recycling us, God redeems us to be his people, get this, for all eternity, and for him to be our God. 
In fact, the day is coming when God will restore creation to its intended glory. And with this with our new glorified bodies, we will live on a new earth and we will enjoy God's creation as it was before sin entered this world. In fact, you go to Romans chapter 8 and there the Apostle Paul tells us that all of creation groans in expectation of this day when God will make all things new, when God will set all things right. It will be a day when sin and sorrow and suffering are no more. Does that excite you? I get excited about that. I hope you do too. It will be a day of dancing. It will be a day of rejoicing. It will be a day of celebration in our God. God loves us so much that he sent his only son to redeem us, not to recycle us. So let's dive into this question here. Is reincarnation true? Well, perhaps we need an overview of what reincarnation is. So let's start with a simple definition of the word reincarnation. Notice this on the screen in your notes. Reincarnation means to come again in the flesh. The word reincarnation has its root carno, which is the Latin word for flesh. Now the Apostle Paul writes about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Some of you are familiar with that concept. He writes about it in Philippians chapter 2. And so, to incarnate something is to cause it to be born in a human body, which is exactly what God did with his son Jesus when, in the words of Paul, he took the form of a servant and came in the likeness of men. Philippians 2, verse 2. The re in reincarnate simply means, again, to incarnate something. It's, it's to, again, to indicate repetition. Re. So to reincarnate something is to cause it to be born again and again and again in a human body. Or as one website on reincarnation described it, when one body wears out, it is cast off like a garment and soon another one is put on. Which brings us to the core belief now of reincarnation. Look at this in your notes. Each individual soul lives a succession of lives in various human bodies over the course of history. This is also known as uh, transmigration of the soul. But like many Westerners who embrace reincarnation, uh, Reba sees coming back in again and again as sort of a good thing. In an interview, she muses that maybe she is part Christian and part Buddhist. The problem is, Buddhists don't see coming back again and again and again as a good thing. Just like Hinduism, which also believes in reincarnation, they're trying to escape this life. And in their system, the world is nothing but pain and sorrow and suffering that we are trying to escape in order to reach nirvana. And so if you come back reincarnated, it means one thing in this belief system, that you failed in your previous life. No Buddhist wants to come back. They want to escape this life. Now here's the purpose of reincarnation is to gradually purify the soul so that it eventually reaches a state of perfection and then merges back with its source, which may be God or some universal soul. And when this state of perfection is reached, no more incarnations are necessary. So what we have here, then the goal of each life is to make as much 
progress as possible and shorten the time until perfection is reached. And so most teachers of reincarnation believe that the soul must pass through many lives on earth. In fact, as many as hundreds and even thousands before this state of perfection is attained or until it's reached. According to the doctrine of reincarnation, any one of us here might have been in a previous life a dockhand on a Missouri River barge. Or you might have been a soldier in the army of Alexander the Great. Or possibly you could have been a monk in a medieval monastery. Or perhaps you were a housewife in the days of Napoleon. Shirley MacLaine believes she was once a Buddhist monk, a court jester to King Louis XIV, a Moorish girl who lived in northern Spain, and a mistress to Charlemagne. Now, as preposterous as that may sound to some of us here this morning, again, we need to remember that as many as one in four people that live here in America believe this. They have embraced this. That this is what happens to you after you die. So then why? Why do people embrace this? Why do they adopt this as a belief system for life after death? Reincarnation. Let me give you two reasons why. First of all, reincarnation tries to offer hope. It tries to offer hope. And the hope is this, according to reincarnationists. If you don't get it right in this life, we have another chance the next time around. And who doesn't need hope in life, right? Who doesn't need another chance in life? All of us do. And so those who believe in reincarnation believe that as we continue to be reincarnated until we get it right. The problem is, even those who say they are reincarnated, they have no memory of how they got it wrong in the previous life in order to get it right now in this life. So how can we learn from our past mistakes if we can't remember them? Let's be honest. We seem to make the same mistakes over and over and over again, do we not? Sure, we all do. And so given the moral failure rate of human history, do we have any reason to hope that we will, quote, get it right in a future lifetime? No. Reincarnation, it tries to offer hope. It is a system that tries to do this, like most religions try to do. But it's a hope that falls woefully short of what we really need. Which brings us to a second reason why people are drawn to this belief system. And they embrace reincarnation, and that is reincarnation claims to ensure justice. It claims to ensure justice. That is, according to the law of karma, and I'm sure most of you have heard that word before, karma, we get what we deserve in every life. This means our good and bad deeds produce good and bad results from lifetime to lifetime. Karma, it actually refers to a debt of soul, the soul accumulates because of good and bad actions committed during one's life or one's past lives. Therefore, if bad things happen in one's life, well, this is the outworking of bad karma. And if good things happen in your life, that's the outworking of good karma. With karma, there is supposedly no unjust suffering because no one is innocent. All suffering is deserved based 
on the basis of bad karma, and we all carry our karma into each successive lives. With the concept of karma, there's no grace, though. There's no mercy, and there's no forgiveness. Think about that for a moment. Or as Shirley MacLaine says in her book, Out on a Limb, reincarnation is like show business. You just keep doing it until you get it right. Reincarnation, then, we could describe it this way. It's a kind of self-salvation in which you try to save yourself, worked out over eons of time, over eons of lifespans. Some people are very bad, and so it takes them thousands of lifetimes to reach their state of perfection. While other people are very good, and they progress rapidly and take fewer lifetimes to reach perfection. New Agers generally regard Jesus Christ as an example of someone who, who truly was a good person. And therefore, he is an example of the truly perfected soul. They believe his life on earth is simply the last in a series of incarnations. Now, one of the keys to understanding reincarnation is the belief uh, in the divinity of the individual. That is, God is within you. That's part of the belief system of those who embrace this, this system of belief. That you, in a sense, are your own God, and divinity is within you. This is actually a common New Age teaching, which is why in so much New Age literature, you are encouraged to journey into yourself. You explore your feelings, discover a higher consciousness, and therefore experience uh, true spiritual reality. And again, this is a major point made over and over again by uh, Shirley MacLaine in her book, when she asks her spiritual guru about the meaning of life, he replies that happiness and purpose and meaning is you. And then she goes on, he goes on and tells her, you are everything. Everything you want to know is inside of you. You are the universe. So why do people embrace this belief system about life after death? Why are people drawn to it? Because they're searching for something. People want hope in this world, and they're searching for hope. But, this, but in the end, reincarnation doesn't deliver. And that's why we need to turn to the Word of God. So notice this. What I want to do here is kind of give you a comparison between what reincarnation teaches versus what God's Word teaches. And I want you to see them side by side. And you'll notice this more in your notes than on the screen in that little chart there in your insert. But notice the first, first of all here, reincarnation teaches that we will live and die many times. That's the premise of reincarnation. But what does God's word say about that? Well, God's word teaches that each person lives and dies once and then faces judgment. The teaching, therefore, of reincarnation, folks, listen to me, it is incompatible with the teaching of God's word. The two do not line up. The key text refuting reincarnation is the text that Jeremy read for us here in Hebrews chapter 9, 28 and 20, or 27 and 28. Verse 27, again, it says, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. And so, immediately here, God's word is clear that you live once, you die once, and then you face God in judgment. We don't get a second chance by reincarnating into another body. 
And when you think about it, reincarnation, it devalues this present life in which we are now living. Let me, let me sh show you that. Why? After all, if you blow it, there's always a next time, right? There's always your next life. Maybe you'll get it right in that life. If not that life, then there's the uh, next one. But what does God's Word teach about this life? God's Word focuses on the brevity of this life. Psalms 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. James 4.14 says, What is your life? And then he answers that question and says, You are a mist or a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so this life is the only life we have. We only get one life to respond to the amazing grace that God provides in Jesus Christ. If we reject Jesus Christ in this life, we will regret it for all eternity. That is the teaching of God's Word. And so the heart of this question, it really becomes, are you, am I, are we here, are you prepared to face God when you die? And we get this life to prepare for that. And that's it. Are we prepared, spiritually speaking, to face God when we die? Second, notice this, what reincarnation teaches. Reincarnation teaches that my only hope is to save myself through successive lives. But God's Word teaches that my only hope is found in the forgiveness of sins provided in Jesus Christ. This is where we come to verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 9. Because let me tell you, verse 27 in and of, of it by itself, man, there's not a lot of hope in that verse, is it? Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Whoa! Where's the hope in that verse? Because if I live one life and I die and I face God in judgment and I do that on my own, I am sunk. I'm toast. Literally, I'm going to be burnt toast. You'll get that in a minute. And so thank the Lord for the hope of verse 28 here in Hebrews 9. Look what it says. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. That's us. That's glorious. That is beautiful. That is the gospel. And then He will appear a second time not to bear sin. In other words, when He comes back the second time, it is not to die on the cross. His purpose was the first time was to die on the cross. That's why he was born the first time. That's why he was incarnate. That's why he came in the flesh. The purpose was to die for the sins of the world. But when he comes back the second time, it is not to bear the sins of humanity, but to bring salvation. In other words, to bring it to this climax, to this culmination, to those who are waiting for the Him, to those who are ready to face God in judgment, to those who have prepared in this lifetime, to those who have accepted Him. They have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And they are prepared now. And so if that's you, this is a beautiful verse. It is a hope-filled verse. This is good news. I don't have to try to achieve perfection on my own in this life. Woohoo! right? Why? Because Christ already lived the perfect life. 
Christ already died once and for all to take away my sins. And so those who believe in reincarnation, I will say this for them, they are right about two things. One is, all men are sinners. They're right about that. Every person is born a sinner. We're sinners by birth and by choice. And number two, they're right about that no person can save himself in one lifetime. They're right about that. But they are wrong about the biggest thing here, and that is no one can save himself in a hundred or even a thousand lifetimes. None of us can save ourselves. There aren't enough lifetimes in all of eternity to purge ourselves of our sins. And so when you come right down to it, people who believe in reincarnation, people who embrace this belief system, they see the problem of humanity. They see it clearly. In fact, sometimes they see it better than us. But their solution is hopelessness because they have no concept of a gracious and merciful God who provided the way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 7, one of the greatest verses in all the Word of God says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon, or he will freely forgive. How could God forgive us if we can do nothing in a million lifetimes to be forgiven? This is the question reincarnation cannot answer, but God's word gives us the answer. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep, we've gone astray. Ain't that the truth? We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, what did Christ do for us? Died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him... Oh, this is the beautiful part, that we might become the righteousness of God. And then Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So unlike those who believe in reincarnation, we don't have to pretend that the answer is within us that we somehow have to achieve righteousness and perfection in order to satisfy God's wrath. No, no, no. The answer is not in us, but we know where it is, don't we? It is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In Him, we find forgiveness of sins. In Him, we find eternal life. Which brings us to point number three here. Reincarnation teaches that after this life, we are doomed to return again and again in hope of attaining perfection someday. But God's Word teaches that we are given eternal life through faith in Jesus, and when we die, we enter into the presence of the Lord. In fact, God's Word 
is very clear in telling us what happens when we die. 2 Corinthians 5.8 tells us that when believers in Jesus Christ, that is, those of us who have placed our faith, we put our trust in the work and person of Jesus Christ. What Jesus did on the cross, his atonement, he died as my substitute. He died in my place. And when I, when I bank everything on that and that alone, this is what the Bible tells us. That we go directly into the presence of the Lord, not into another body at the moment of death. Listen to Paul's words. We are confident, he says. Oh, that's awesome. We can be confident about this when we approach death, when we face death. We don't have to fear like the world fears that has no hope. Paul says we don't grieve like they grieve. Our grief is different. Our grief, yes, we, are, we grieve, we, we cry because death brings loss. But we cry differently. We cry with hope. We cry with confidence. What? Yes, that we are well pleased rather to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. But there's a flip side of that coin. Listen to me carefully here. And I say this with love, and I say it with compassion, but I say it with frankness. In the story of the rich man and Lazarus, you can read about it in Luke chapter 16. In fact, we will do a whole message just on this story, this passage. Tells us that when unbelievers die, that is, people who have yet to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, they have rejected the gospel. They have rejected God's grace in His Son, Jesus Christ. And when those people die, they don't go to the presence of the Lord. They don't go into another body. Listen, they go to a place of suffering that the Bible calls hell. It's real. It's literal. We're going to do a whole message on is hell really real in two weeks. I hope you come back for it. Think of it this way. How sad it would be to lay our loved ones to rest and our only hope be that sometime, somewhere, somehow, they will be reincarnated into some other body, in some other place, in some other time. What kind of hope is that? Our hope rests in Jesus Christ. We have His promise. They're scattered throughout all of God's Word. In fact, the most famous one is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. And so thank God for hope in Jesus Christ, which gives us meaning to this life and gives us security for life after death. We don't rest our souls on the flimsy testimony of spirit guides or on the opinions of misguided entertainers. We rest our souls on the very authority of God's Word. Peter himself, that famous disciple who always stuck his foot in his mouth, but God used him in a mighty way. It's a phenomenal story, which means God can use any one of us when we submit our lives to Him. Peter later on, after his experience of betraying Christ, 
God restores him. He comes along and he writes by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He says this in 2 Peter 1, chapter, verses 16 and 19. He puts it this way. We did not follow cleverly invented stories. Reincarnation is a cleverly invented belief system for answering the questions about life after death. He goes on in verse 19, he says, We have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. In other words, the copy of the word of God that you have in your lap or you have digitally in your phone, you can bank on it. You can bank your life on that authority. It's God's revealed word. He's the creator, and he tells us the answers about life after death. Because Satan is the father of lies, though, reincarnation is here to stay. It's not going away anytime soon. So the question is, how should we respond to reincarnation and people who embrace it? Well, let me give you three responses here. The first one is don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by this belief system. Ground yourself in the truth of God's Word. One way not to be taken in, not to be deceived by this belief system or any other false religion and philosophies of this world is to be informed, which is why I took time this morning to educate us a little bit on what reincarnation is. Next Sunday, we're actually going to talk about purgatory. What's, what about purgatory? What's that? Is that, you know... And so we're going to educate ourselves a little bit, be informed. And there are a number of good books out there that you can read uh, on some of this. And if you're interested, just email me and I'll send you a, a recommended list. Another way to not be taken in and deceived is to realize the danger of dabbling in these things. Uh, people are often taken in by something when they regard it as sort of neutral. There's no harm to it. Uh, that's not true. But the best way to not be taken in, not be deceived, is to ground yourself in the truth of God's Word. And folks, that's why we are committed at this church to the preaching and teaching of God's Word. That's why we're committed to having a discovery hour before our worship service here, where we discover the truth of God's Word, how God's Word applies to our lives. Here's what God's Word says. He's the creator. He's revealed how to live life as Christ followers in this world. And so we're committed to that, to the supremacy and the authority of God's word. And of course, that's our church, but it also needs to be us as individuals where, where we're taking ownership of this day, in our day-to-day -day lives through our own Bible reading, um, listening to podcasts, whatever the case may be. So don't be deceived. Number two, understand that there is a spiritual hunger in people for hope. That's, the hard, that's why there's other world religions out there. That's why there's reincarnation, because people are spiritually hungry, and they're searching for answers, they're searching for hope. If people do not find God's truth, they will believe Satan's lie. A starving dog will eat whatever you put in front of him. Right? And we see the evidence of this hunger more and more in our culture today. There's a reason why New Age books sell in the millions. They are tapping into 
the desire inside every human heart to understand who we are, where we came from, and where we are going. And so the popularity of New Age teaching simply means that many people are truly searching for spiritual reality. And the fact that they may have bought into a false system doesn't make their desire any less real. And that's why we come to number three, our third response. Be ready to share the hope of Jesus. Right? And especially to those who are searching. Listen, can reincarnation realistically offer hope to a troubled world? No. And that's why God calls us as his Christ followers. He calls us as the church here to share the hope of Jesus Christ. To to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. By God's grace, most of you here this morning, you have embraced the hope of Jesus You have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And through God's grace, we must now share this hope with those who are searching for hope. Now, as we close, I want to answer one last question. It's an important question. That question is this. Can a person be, quote, born again? And the answer is, Let's say it louder. Yes, absolutely. Not physically, though, born again over and over, but spiritually born again from above, once for all, never to be repeated. Although the Bible knows nothing of reincarnation, it does talk about a second birth. And one of the more... uh, close encounters with Jesus Christ between a Pharisee named Nicodemus, we see this played out in a conversation. You can read about it in John chapter 3, the whole chapter, but let me highlight the conversation here in verses 3 through 6, where Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He's a Pharisee, but he's searching. He's seeking for truth. He wants hope because his religious system hasn't panned out for him. It hasn't added up. It's coming up short in his life. And so he's seeking, and he sees something different in Jesus. Who is this guy? What is he talking about? Man, that's what I want. And so he comes to him in the camouflage at night, and he asks Jesus this question. Verily, or Jesus now answers him, Verily, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus asks, how can someone be born again when they are old? That's a great question, right? That's an obvious question. That's a normal question. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. And so immediately we see in this conversation, this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus, that there is this huge difference between reincarnation and Christianity. And yet they both teach the need for a, quote, rebirth. But reincarnation teaches a physical rebirth over and over and over again in successive lives. But Christianity, or the Bible, teaches... And in this case, specifically, Jesus teaches a spiritual rebirth 
from above once and for all. And so to be born again is not about reincarnation, but rather it is all about having a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, being born again is not something that we do. Being born again is something that God does through His Spirit as you respond through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. You know what the result of that is? Of being spiritually born again? The result is you get to experience forgiveness of your sins and you get the hope and the confidence of eternal life with God in heaven for all eternity. The choice is rather simple. Either you believe that you will pay for your own sins as you are reincarnated over and over again, or you believe that God, in His grace, was incarnate in Christ and paid for your sins with His death on the cross. Those are the two choices. God's answer to reincarnation is not really even an argument. It's His Son, Jesus Christ. We believe in resurrection of the body to eternal life, not reincarnation, because we believe salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. You can follow reincarnation in this life, and you will end up in hell in the next life. Or you can trust in Jesus Christ in this life, and you will find joy in the presence of the Lord in heaven when you die. It's either Jesus' incarnation or your own reincarnation. Either Jesus saves you or you try to save yourself. And if you are willing to believe that Jesus died in your place to pay for your sins, and if you will trust Him as your Savior, you can be born again today. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the hope that we proclaim. And if you've never made that decision, if you've never come to that point in your life, where you have recognized yourself as a sinner before a holy God, and there's nothing I can do to, to earn my way to heaven. There's nothing I can do to earn perfection and a standard of holiness or righteousness or be good enough to enter into God and to satisfy His wrath so that He turns away from judgment in me. If you've never come to that point, my prayer is that you will. My prayer is that God will begin to soften your heart and open up your mind to see just that. And he will bring you to a point where you humble yourself and you cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Forgive me for my sins and grant me the gift of eternal life that only comes through your grace in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Paul tells us in Romans 10, that we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart, and you can put it in any words that you want, however God knows your heart, you just cry out and pray to him. In a moment here, we're going to bow our heads, close our eyes, we're going to have a moment where we respond to the Lord, and you can do that right where you're sitting, where you can pray to receive Christ. The Spirit can do a work in you and bring you new birth, spiritually. And you can have the hope and confidence of knowing what happens after you die. Not only that, man, God gives us his spirit to live life now. 
and to follow him now. It's a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would work and by your spirit you would convict, you would challenge, you would bring those who need to respond to the point of decision, to the point of trusting you. And Lord, you would grant them faith and right where they're seated, they would pray to receive salvation by placing their faith and trust in you. Lord, in the quietness of their heart, that they would express that in prayer to him. And so, Lord, do a work even now. The rest of us who are already believers, may we come to you and beg for decisions that people would respond. And so, Lord, we're asking this in your son's name. Amen. The praise team's going to sing, and as they do, will you respond?